Hey everybody, this is Scott with the Alpha Lima Charlie podcast. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of seeing the continuous suicides amongst the ranks of veterans, active duty service members, reserve service members, and the negativity and toxicity that contribute to the 22 suicides a day. My mission is to recreate the brotherhood and sisterhood of veterans through embracing positivity, developing a stronger mindset, destroying toxicity, and reducing the 22 to zero. So follow me to learn the concepts I've utilized in growing through my own challenges and hear the stories of success and tragedy through challenges of others. So guys, today, a lot of good information coming. Extremely uh, excited to bring you um, some information that has been um, just huge for me in my life and, and, and how I engage with others. And I think that this will be very eye-opening for you as well. Dale, how goes it, brother? Good to see you on here as well. So I'm going to start today's episode with um, making a book recommendation. And this is a book that I've I've listened to the audiobook twice and I've read the book once and I've highlighted uh, plenty of pages in this book. And um, to this day, um, I'll go through it again and there will be something new or, or something that I kind of glazed over the first time that really hits me hard. And so constantly learning from this book and that's and that's the majority of books. Um, but this book here um, is is has been extremely valuable in um, me being able to move forward and grow as a person, grow as a coach. And, um, so this book is called get off your butt by Sean Stevenson. And so, uh, I know in the, in the Facebook group, there've been a lot of people that have asked me about, um, you know, a, a book list and, and I still got to get that done. I apologize for not making it happen yet. Um, but I will make it happen. Um, but this book here is, is, has, and continues to be at the top of my list. Um, at, at least towards the top of my list. I, I really can't rank um, some of the books that I've read as the top because it, there's just so, so much good information out there when you really start diving into books. But this one here definitely uh, has, has continuously sat towards the top of the list. Now, a little bit about Sean. So Sean had actually passed away back in August, uh, August last year, almost a year ago now. And, um, uh, you know, for those those of us that knew him and, and I didn't know him near as well as some people, but he you know, the impact that he made on my life um, when he passed away, I definitely felt it. And it was um, it was extremely devastating for a lot of people. The world definitely lost a, a, a great individual. And some of you might actually know him better as uh, the three foot giant. Now, Sean, to give you a little background about Sean, so Sean was a psychotherapist uh, in Chicago, and then he moved out to Arizona. And as um, as his career um, took off, even in, in college, he actually became a public speaker. And so he'd been a public speaker for quite some time. And but he was he was, you know, what you would view as unique because he was literally three foot tall. And he was in a wheelchair. You see, he was born um, with what's called osteogenesis imperfecta. And uh, what that means is he, had, he was born with very brittle bones. And so he literally 
Um, you know, he's born with, with multiple broken bones as a, as a, as, um, and he ended up having, I don't know, something like 200 fractures through his entire childhood, including both femurs multiple times. And so from the get go, he had, uh, just challenge after challenge as a kid. And even into his, even into his adulthood, he continued to have challenges, but he wrote this book and there's a few stories I'm going to pull out of this book and share with you that again, continue to impact my life. And so I'm actually going to read some excerpts from this book. And then kind of share with you uh, some thoughts. Now, there are two excerpts that I'm going to read in this book. But then the third story is one that I remember him sharing with us. Um, I've, I, I heard him speak uh, multiple times. And um, he, he was just absolutely phenomenal speaker. Very engaging and, um, you know, he taught me a lot just through hearing him speak as well. So this first one was was in the first chapter and in this particular segment of the chapter chapter, he, he titled cause and effect. And that's the segment of the chapter, not the chapter itself. And so this is what he said in his book. So every toddler learns the meaning of causality. If I do this, I will cause that. For most kids, it's about dropping a toy on the floor or touching a hot stove and getting burned. For me, the equation was a little different. If I try to lift a heavy object, my arm will snap. My brain quickly became wired to recognize that it needed to be always alert, to be always on the lookout for what, I, what could happen next. I needed to pay attention to things that other kids would never have to concern themselves with. What if someone comes walking quickly around the corner and bumps into me? What if that heavy lunchbox perched on the corner of the desk comes crashing down on me? What if this guy next to me tries to grab my arm and shake it too hard? My mind was constantly scanning the environment for any possible danger. This caution saved me on many occasions, but I was still a kid. And kids sometimes get excited and forget to think. One particular Halloween in 1988, I forgot all about caution and thinking, but I'll never forget what happened. I was in the fourth grade and it was Halloween morning, right before school. My mom was in the kitchen packing my lunch. I was in the living room lying on the floor with a big smile on my face. This was my favorite day of the year. Sure, I liked Christmas, my birthday, and all the other holidays, but Halloween held a special place in my heart. To most kids, Halloween meant candy, parties, and wearing costumes. To me, Halloween was real magic, a disappearing act. Every day of my life, my entire life, I'd been stared at because I looked so different. Strangers would point, scowl, and sometimes even laugh at my appearance. No matter what time I left my house or where I was, I couldn't escape it. The one thing I wanted so badly to do as a child was just put on a baseball cap, mix into a crowd of people, and disappear. That, however, was never an option. Except on Halloween. On that one day, everyone got dressed up. Everyone looked different, and I got to blend in. I absolutely loved it. On this Halloween morning when I was nine years old, 
Mom finished packing my lunch and was taking my stuff out to the car. I was so excited. I just couldn't keep still. I was going as a mummy and already wearing my costume. I started rolling around on the floor out of my chair. Oh, I thought to myself, I looked so good. I can't wait to show this off to my friends. I rolled all over the floor, filled with joy and impatient to get going. And then my left leg caught on the corner of the door frame and bent back. Snap. The world stood still. I knew what would happen next. There was always the delay between hearing the snap and feeling the pain. In a fraction of a second, it felt as though my whole life came crumbling down. I'd broken my femur, the big bone in my thigh. My temperature began to rise and sweat burned into my eyes. My breathing became ragged. It felt as if somebody had pulled a, put a vice on the bone and was twisting it tighter and tighter. As if the pain weren't enough, white hot anger exploded in my mind. It coursed through my veins and drilled right to my heart. This was not fair. I was being punished for a crime I had never committed. So I let out a blood-curdling scream. Why me? What did I ever do to deserve this? Mom came running into the door and knelt down beside me. She knew the drill. There was little she could do to help me. She couldn't race me to the hospital. There was nothing the doctors could do either. The medical experts had told her early on that all she could do was keep me immobilized on the very spot where I had broken the bone for four to six weeks until I healed. Literally the same spot. It didn't matter whether it was my bedroom, the basement, or the living room floor. That's where I had to remain, absolutely still, until the bone healed. Eating, drinking, and even going to the bathroom had to be modified so that I could do it all from that spot. Mom tried to calm me down. Shh, Sean, sweetie, we have to relax. Then, as she always did, Mom tried playing this little game with me to transport my mind as far away from the pain as possible. Sean, what was your favorite part of our, about our last vacation? But that Halloween day, I didn't want to play any games. I knew I was going to be stuck indoors on the one day of the year that meant the most to me. I was furious, and my mom could see that in my eyes. She stopped playing, leaned back, and formulated a question. A question that would change the course of my life. Mom ran her fingers through my sweaty hair and looked deep into my eyes. Sean... She asked quietly, is this going to be a gift or a burden? A gift? A gift? Gifts come on your birthday. You open them up and say, woohoo! Was she crazy? But before I could say anything, something magical happened, something I can't explain with science. My calling and purpose in life came and found me. It was as though a warm wind of wisdom came whirling into my living room and surrounded my body. Whoosh! In that moment in the fourth grade, on a living room floor, in terrible pain, I had a clear revelation. I had always loved my life amid all the pain. And here's the really important part. I realized that I was meant to teach others how to do the same. Then mom shared another profound thought with me. Sean, she said, pain is inevitable. Eventually, it touches us all. Suffering, however, is optional. I've never been the same since. 
That Halloween day, I received a gift that lifted the anger from my body and gave me a reason never to give up. Sure, I've been sad, but it's the temporary kind of sadness, not the total despair I'd sometimes felt before that Halloween lying on the floor and that I sometimes see in the eyes of others. So that was the first excerpt. Go ahead and type, uh, as, as you're watching this live stream, type in the inbox what you took from that. I'm curious to see. There's two big points that I actually highlighted that were big takeaways for me. And, and by the way, this book, you can, uh, you can find it on Amazon still. I highly recommend you buy this book. But there's two main takeaways in this book that I want you to understand. And, and remember, you know, Sean, although he never he never went to he never saw combat or he never joined the military or anything like that. He was dealing with a set of challenges that nobody would ever understand. And, and, and quite frankly, he would have told you, um, you know, in, in his final years. That when people looked at him, they kind of looked at him with pity. And he was dumbfounded by that. Because he didn't view himself as somebody with challenges. He viewed himself as this was the container that he chose. This was who he was. And he was perfectly fine with that. So, so I'm getting some, um, couple comments. So our perceptions create our situation. Yep. That's one. Uh, that, that, that's a good takeaway. Uh, it is what you make it. Absolutely. The two big things that I want you guys to take away from this particular excerpt is the question that his mom asked him, is this going to be a gift or a burden? Is this going to be a gift or a burden? You can take the question his mom asked him and you can ask yourself the same thing. You can view the challenges you're going through now and you can ask yourself the exact same thing. Is this going to be my gift or my burden? It might feel like a burden. I'm sure having to stay in the same spot for four to six weeks at a time was definitely cumbersome for him. But he made it his gift. And the way he impacted people was something I'd never seen before. And not because of the way he looked. But every... But, but, but entirely because of the message he provided. And also because of just how secure he was in himself.
he knew he couldn't do things that other people could. That didn't stop him. He ended up embracing it. The other, the other takeaway from this particular excerpt is the other thing his mom told him. And that's pain is inevitable. Eventually it touches us all. Suffering, however, is optional. We're going to go through pain. We're going to go through trials and tribulations and challenges and, and pains. But we can choose to suffer or not. Now you look around our, our society as a whole and, and, and more specifically our veteran ranks and it's a lot of suffering. It's a lot of suffering. The suffering just makes the pain worse. And I wanted to share Sean's story with you. So you had a good visual representation of somebody that experienced pain since he left the womb. So Elizabeth said, also be kind, broke my heart when he said he just wanted to blend in with the other kids. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, and that's, you know, he was, he was, you know, people pointing fingers and all kinds of things, you know, when he was a kid and he'd talk about that. And that's a lot for a kid to take. But he's absolutely blessed with, with phenomenal parents. And teaching him how to shift from burden to gift. Dale says, your circumstances don't stop your ability. Exactly. You can be a victim of circumstance, or you can be a victor because of your abilities. The next excerpt was in lesson one titled Start Connecting. The bus driver was about 55, balding and overweight and with a sad, sweet smile. 
Call me Boston Bill, he said as I boarded his bus. It was a little past 10 p.m. My family and I were completely exhausted. Bad weather had caused our flight home to be canceled. And even though we'd waited, uh, we'd waited standby at the airport all day, we'd had no luck. Our only choice was to stay in Boston overnight. Needless to say, we were not too chipper as we climbed into Bill's hotel shuttle. Worse, the little bus was not wheelchair accessible, so I had to be strapped into a child's car seat, riding shotgun next to Bill. I was a very tired 10-year-old who just wanted to go to sleep, but Bill seemed nice. I brushed off my bad day and turned on my good vibes. We talked the whole ride from the airport to the hotel. The time went by easily as I joked around with Bill, asked him a million and one questions. When we finally arrived, I said my goodbyes and wished him well. It was late, but my family and I were famished. We headed for the hotel dining room for a quick meal. The restaurant was closing down as we walked in, but the hostess took pity on us. I'm guessing we looked too hungry and worn out to turn away. When the food, ca when the food came, I dug in. About halfway through my pasta marinara, I looked up to see Bill making a beeline to our table. He wasn't smiling now, though. Instead, he had that expression all humans make right before they cry. I hope you don't mind that I'm interrupting your dinner, he said to my parents. I just had to share something with you. He placed his hand gently on the top of my head. I've been going through a rough period in my life lately, he continued. My wife left me. My kids won't speak to me. And I've been drinking too much. I've been going to therapists and counselors, but none of them were able to get through to me. Before this little guy here got on my bus, I was seriously considering committing suicide tonight. By this time, we'd all put down our forks and were listening intently. But your son here did more for me in a short trip from the airport than all the therapists combined. After meeting this boy and seeing how happy he is despite everything that he is that he has to deal with, well, it put my life in perspective. I have hope now, and I just wanted to thank you. Crying quietly, he kissed the top of my head and walked away before we could say anything. Mom, Dad... Heidi and I just sat there in silence, as though we'd witnessed some kind of miracle. I was mystified. I thought, what did I do? I just sat on his bus and asked him questions about himself and teased him a little. I was just trying to be a nice person, and it burst into a burning building and risked my life to save him or anything. This experience puzzled me for years, then one day when I was in my early 20s, I was sitting in a seminar listening to a highly regarded professional speaker. He was sharing great information. He was obviously very intelligent. Nevertheless, the audience was restless, fidgeting, and bored. A woman sitting near me had actually fallen asleep. It was painfully obvious that no one was able to pay attention. I knew that the information he wanted to communicate was valuable, so why didn't anyone feel compelled to listen? Suddenly, it came to me. He simply lacked the one component that must exist in order for one human being to feel emotionally moved, inspired, and safe with another human being the ability to make a connection. I made an earth-shaking distinction. Communication is merely an exchange of information, but connection is an exchange of our humanity. And right then and there, I flashed back to my bus ride with Boston Bill. Now it all made sense. Now I could see why what I had thought was just a conversation had changed Bill's life. I was paying attention to him, listening to him, teasing and joking and having fun with him. I'd established a deep connection with him, a connection that apparently no one else had made with him during all his years of communicating. Now, 
Sitting in the audience, I realized the speech was over. Everyone stood up and filed out of the auditorium quietly. There was not a trace of happiness or warmth on people's faces. Communication without connection had actually drained them of energy. In that moment, I decided to set out on a quest to find out what the experience of connection was all about. Along the way, I learned that we can talk to others and ourselves all we want and never get anywhere. It's the act of truly connecting, not only with other human beings, but with yourself. That is step one in getting yourself off your butt. Remember, we're all in this together. I'm sure as some of you are listening to this live or on the recording, that you may have found yourself in Boston Bill's shoes. Or you may have found yourself in Sean's shoes. Now, Alpha Lima Charlie, the Charlie stands for communication, and that's communication with yourself first, then others. And the reason why I say communication rather than connection is because some of us aren't even sure how to communicate with ourselves. And if we can't communicate with ourselves, we can't connect. At the same time, if we can't connect with ourselves, we can't communicate. So they're interchangeable. But humans need connection. People need connection. And what you'll find in the future, as you go through the curriculum in the member portal, is there will be sessions on communication and connection. Some of you feeling like Boston Bill right now, spouse might have left you, kids won't talk to you. You feel like you're completely isolated. Nobody understands you. Everybody looks right past you. Let me ask you this. How can you simply connect first for you, then with somebody else? How can you connect with yourself first? Even if it's one small step, that thing that you enjoy that you've you've kept yourself from doing, maybe it's Maybe it's art. Maybe you love doing art, but you've kept yourself from doing it for, for some reason. Maybe it's fishing. Maybe it's going out to a gun range or um, whatever that looks like for you. And you've stopped yourself from enjoying it because there's for some reason you're, you feel guilty by it. 
maybe go do that one thing and that's how you can actually connect with yourself. And once you connect with yourself, simplest way to connect with somebody else, when you ask, how are you doing? Listen to understand. When you ask a question, listen to understand instead of listening to respond. When you can listen to understand, you develop a connection with that person that you're talking to, even if it's the simple, how are you doing? If you ask, how are you doing? And that person, well, not too good. Do you have the time? Sit and have a conversation with them. Maybe somebody asks you, how are you doing? Instead of just putting that fake smile on your face and saying, oh, everything's good. Maybe you start to pour a little out of that Coke bottle and just share just a little bit. Dale says, you never know who you are influencing and mentoring, who is watching you and what impact it has on them. Absolutely. I've had people reach out and say that they've listened to this podcast that has not commented, has not posted, has not shared, has not liked, just sat in the background. And that's perfectly fine. But they've reached out, you know, outside of that and said, dude, this really hit me in your podcast. And some of the stuff I talk, talk about on this podcast can get challenging for some people because it's forcing them to look at something that they've ran from. It's forcing them to think a little differently. But in all actuality, I haven't really heard anything negative. And that's not tooting my own horn, but that's to say that Although the conversation's challenging, and I have no clue who's listening to this, I know by leading from the heart, I know that I'm going to impact somebody. And that somebody may be somebody that I didn't realize was even listening. And sometimes... That person that's paying attention might not necessarily show you in a positive manner that they're paying attention, but in all actuality, it's a cry for help. Which leads me to the third and final story that Sean had shared the first time I went and heard him speak.
And I believe that story is actually in that book as well, but I'm going to go off of memory on this one. Because this story has impacted me on such a deep level that has given me the ability to take a verbal beating from somebody who either A, doesn't necessarily believe in what I'm doing or sometimes when you're in service for people, the hand that, that tries to get extended to help gets bit. But I'm constantly reminded by this particular story that those that are hardest to love need to love the most. Sean was in a... He, he was he was in an internship at an elementary school and he was running this after school program and one day he had these elementary school kids sitting in a semicircle around his wheelchair and he's teaching them things about you know be kind to one another and little things like that that you teach your kids that actually Turn out to be big things. And as he's talking, I don't know where a shoe comes flying through the air and hits him in the temple. And of course, all the kids start laughing hysterically and he looks around and he finds the one kid missing a shoe. And he called his kid the shoeless monster. Now, when he shared this story with us, at this point, he paused for a moment. And he said, how many of you would want to throw the shoe back? Of course, probably 90, 95% of the, of, of the audience raised their hands. And of course, this was a, probably an audience of six, 700 people. And he said... Eventually, the end of the school program was over. All the kids went home. There was one kid that had to wait another 45 minutes. It was the shoeless monster. Eventually, this little old lady walks in the door, calls his name. Little kid runs away, says, bye, Mr. Sean. And a little old lady and this child gets into the vehicle and take off. As Sean was wheeling himself out to his vehicle to leave, the principal ran up behind him and said, Hey, Sean, wait up. I want to see how things are going. How's, how's, the, how's the program going? So it's going great. The kids are angels. Except for this one kid. And he tells him the story and he explains which kid it was. And the principal goes, I think there's something you need to know about that, that kid.
He said this time last year, that child's dad murdered his mother in their home. And now that child doesn't have a mom. His dad's in prison for the rest of his life. And the only person left to take care of him is his grandmother. His grandmother had to pick up two jobs to support him. And he doesn't get much attention at all at home. At that point, Sean wanted to wheel his wheelchair down the street as fast as he could to try to catch up to this little boy and scoop him up in his arms and tell him it's going to be okay. We spent a lot of time focusing so deeply on our problems and on the, the trivial bullshit that happens to us. And now when something like that happens, when somebody does something wrong towards us, like this little boy, I think he, I think third grade, I think was, was the grade, I think. Threw the shoe at him. And mind you, Sean also asked us at the end of it, he goes, now, how many of you want to throw the shoe back? There was crickets and sniffles in the crowd. We get so focused on the, 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 the little things that people do wrong towards us. We don't realize that what's actually happening is a cry for help. That little boy didn't get any attention at home after he after he lost both parents in one fell swoop and the only way he knew to try to garner any kind of attention was to throw a shoe at the guy in the wheelchair. Now, this isn't to downplay the heavy stuff that, that happens to us. But this is to understand that a lot of times when something, when somebody does something towards us, it's a cry for help. My dad's drinking and making everybody laugh all the time was a cry for help. A lot of the negativity and the toxicity that I see in the veteran community is a cry for help. But we get so laser focused on our own problems that we don't realize that the person that we served with right in front of us 
is also crying for help. We go to therapists, we go to psychologists. Lay on a couch and talk about why our why the color yellow makes us sad. We don't connect to those that we're connected to the most. And that's not only our family, but our veteran family as well. We don't realize that we can shift our burden and see it as a gift. We don't realize that taking five minutes and asking somebody how they're doing and actually listening might actually stop them from suicide. And we don't realize that the majority of the time, the best thing to do is not throw the shoe back. We've been throwing the shoes back at our own brothers and sisters in arms, and I've seen it in other groups, and I've heard about it in other groups. That's the cry for help. We hear people and see people on social media talking about, I feel like I want to commit suicide. And we tell them, hey, reach out. But the last thing that somebody that's suicidal wants to do is reach out because they're going to continue feeling like a burden if they do reach out. But if you reach out, You tell I'm calling you right now. Facebook video messenger, you can call, you know, just like a phone call on Facebook messenger or, or the actual phone call or whatever that looks like. It's like a game of basketball. They said, Hey, I think I'm going to commit suicide. They're passing the ball to you. The ball is now in your court. It's a game of chess. Chess. It's now your move. And understand that whatever you have or are going through, A challenge is your gift. But you decide if it's going to be a burden or a gift. We're going to feel pain. That's life. 
We grow up feeling physical growing pains. And we think that at the age of 16 to 17 or 18 years old, when we stop growing physically, we think growing pains are over. Growing pains are just getting started, but there's two differences. They're now psychological growing pains. And now it's a choice. Pain is inevitable. Eventually it touches us all. Suffering, however, is optional. So if you're a veteran, active or reserved, listening to this and you haven't already, join the Facebook group Vets Mentoring Vets. This is one of the few, if not the only, Facebook group that does not allow politics or negativity. This is a group to share challenges, to seek solutions, share solutions for those dealing with challenges, or sharing resources for other vets. Remember, your challenge is your gift. It's not happening to you, it's happening for you. Lead yourself first. Continue to learn to communicate more effectively, first for you, then for others, with yourself and then others. And you'll find the key to leading a more positive, more fulfilled life and potentially start to find your purpose and identity. We'll talk to you next time.